Do you feel you have a calling from God? What role does each of our backgrounds play in shaping that vocational calling? Hi, I'm Brent Siddle, and this is the God Story Podcast. Our guest on the show this time is Susan Maros, an affiliate assistant professor of Christian leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary in the States and an adjunct professor at the King's University Southlake in Texas. Susan's new book from InterVarsity Press, IVP America, is Calling in Context, Social Location and Vocational Formation. And Susan joins me now from the States. Susan, hi. Hi. Now, first of all, the obvious question, what is vocational calling? Well, that depends on who you are and where you sit. And that's part of the reason why I wrote the book and why I was so interested in it, because how you answer that question depends a lot on your context. Yes. How does God form us across a lifetime of experience? In many ways in a whole diverse set of ways from our family to the events in our context, to specific formational personal experiences, to mentors, to how we process crisis, anything and everything that happens in our life is possible for God to use to form and shape us as a person, as a human being, but also as a person, a child of God, called by God to participate with God's work in the world. Yes. How are each of our callings influenced by who we are and where we come from? Well, I think who we are and where we come from is essential. It's crucial. I I mention my perspective on Ephesians 2.10 in the book, you know, that we are God's workmanship, each of us. And we collectively, because in the Greek, it's plural, we collectively are God's workmanship, God's craftsmanship. God has crafted us to participate in works that he prepared in advance for us to do, right? So that who we are distinctively individually, as well as who we are distinctively as communities is part of God's shaping for participating with God's work in the world. So I think there's a lot about our individual personalities, our experiences, our passions. That's a real common way to think about calling. One way back to your question, what is vocational calling, right? That's one way to think about it is what are you passionate about? I do think that's part, but also who's our community? How has God shaped and formed us uniquely in a specific social geographical location? And what kinds of things is God drawing us to, to be um, God's people in the world in a way that, that exhibits God's character and nature and values in the world? Yes. What motivated you to write this book? Well, I've been thinking about the topic of calling for quite some time. Uh, I was really interested in the formation of God's people, particularly in formation of leaders, and that issue of how does God shape and form leaders across a lifetime? You know, we kind of tend to think around leadership the way we do around calling that somehow it's a one and done sort of thing. You know, God, you're boof, you're the leader, you know, there you go, done. And, And the reality is, is that our formation and development happens across the whole of our lives. And so I was, I was interested in that formation. I was interested in how people came to see themselves as called people, see themselves as invited by God to participate with God's work in the world. And, and I kept running into these difficulties talking about that, you know, where people would, I'd have people reflecting on the events of their lives and they'd say, wow, that was so encouraging. I could see God at work in my life. Wow. Okay. Okay. Now, so what's my call? You know, so there was, there was this gap and, and that's what, that's what provoked me to do further research. And then, and then continuing to work on that, I came to a point where it's like, I want to, 
I want to summarize this. It's the kind of, what have I learned to this point? Uh, and that became the book. What was the Holy Spirit moment you had on the plane that you tell us about in the opening of the book? Yeah. Well, part in part, through my doctoral research, I became more aware of how people in different contexts, particularly at that moment, it was in different national cultural contexts. Think about calling. You know, I, I, I mentioned in the book and, and there's some other places where it's quoted where I had a colleague who, upon hearing me expound at length on all the things I was reading about calling, said, yeah, I, I don't really like to read U.S. American books on calling. You know, they're, they're just too American. And I was like, what, 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 wait, what? I, I thought this is a universal thing. It's biblical, isn't it? Isn't universal? And so that got me thinking about that whole process got me thinking about the distinctive ways in which we experience God in our different social cultural contexts and continuing to think about that, thinking about that more broadly, globally provoked me to pay closer attention to the distinctive experiences of people in the United States. You know, that my experience as a white U.S. American middle-class, mostly lived in Southern California is different than somebody who has a different social location background than mine. And, and that got me paying closer attention. That led me into thinking a lot more about issues of race and ethnicity, particularly unpacking some of the things that are true in the United States and thinking about my context and thinking about events and the different ways that people experienced them and interpreted them. Uh, so that led to the, this experience I had on the plane that I write about in the introduction where I was reading uh, a book by Emerson and Smith, Divided by Faith. And it was just a moment that helped me shift my perspective, see my perspective with fresh, fresh eyes. You know, I, I, had, I had unconsciously assumed that my way of seeing things was somehow normative or universal. You know, it's like, I'm a Christian. I'm not, I'm not primarily U.S. American. I'm primarily a Christian, you know? So I'm not, I don't root my identity and my citizenship. I root my identity as, as a person of God. And yet the, that book helped me see, oh no, I have a very white evangelical way of thinking about, about issues of race. And that was that particular mo aha moment that helped me to recognize ways in which I had been oblivious to the distinctive experiences of students in my classroom, let alone people I was encountering from other countries. Yes. How, how do our church or denominational traditions also influence the way we think about calling? In a whole variety of ways. So I encountered this in part because uh, I was teaching in a Pentecostal context, right? So calling's a big thing in a Pentecostal context. And my preliminary doctoral research was among Pentecostal adults. You know, so there was a strong sense of you have to hear from God. Like it's not a calling if you don't hear directly from God. And then I'd be talking about that with my colleagues who were Presbyterian or my colleagues who from other reformed contexts, you know, and so they were kind of, well, but 
What does that mean? Hearing from, how do you know you've heard from God? And I said, that's their problem. That's what they want to know. That's why, that's why when they find out I'm researching calling, they're all excited. Oh, you're going to tell us how to know our call. Whereas my, my colleagues, both the, those you know, Presbyterian or other reformed contexts, or a lot of authors in the US, a lot of the books written about calling or vocation are written from a reformed perspective. And there's this strong kind of two-part, two-step approach. You know, you're primarily called to membership in the body of Christ, and then secondarily, you're called to serve God in the world wherever you are. You know, this kind of, Luther says it sort of that way, Calvin takes a little bit different, but so that's a theological tradition that's really strong that influences how people think, whereas my Pentecostal folks, aware of that theology, nevertheless, had a much stronger sense of, well, you have to know from God, you have to be able to articulate a series of events or a inner certainty of knowing from God. So those are just two. And then I find people in other theological traditions, you know, will have some priority of ways that you're supposed to know or ways you're supposed to discover or what calling looks like that are distinctive to their their particular tradition, faith tradition. Yes, there are parts of the church where you almost feel they feel uncomfortable about this whole idea of hearing from God and a person being called. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yes. What does scripture actually teach us about biblical calling? Well, that is, in its own way, a tricky question to answer, because we bring our presuppositions and experiences to the text. And so we read the text through the lenses of our experience. One of the things I, I love to do is to look at call stories in the Bible. And what do we even consider a call story? So one of the things I did do in my doctoral research, I asked people to list for me all the people in scripture they could think of who were called, right? And so I, I got all this data and I, I did some analysis on it. And so the the top people that, that were most referenced were, no surprise, Paul, Moses, Abraham, David, and the disciples, right? In that order. The, the, these were the top mentions. Much further down people's lists, if they occurred at all, were people like Nehemiah, Joseph, Philip, Timothy, Priscilla and Aquila, Ruth, Esther. You know, so why do we have certain people in scripture that we say those people were called? And then we have other people we don't even look at their stories or think about their stories, right? We have some assumptions about what constitutes a calling story. So I love to get into the text of scripture and explore with people things like Nehemiah. Was Nehemiah called to do what he did? You know, that's a fun conversation because in your context, in your church context, why would you say yes? Why would you say no? So people will say, well, yes, because he had such a passion for this and because we see that he succeeded and God blessed what he was doing. So yes, he was called. Or they will say, no, because we never hear God say to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, I want you to go to Jerusalem and build a wall. We, we don't have that conversation. So is it yes or is it no? And there's so much looking at the narratives and the stories in scripture, considering why do I consider this a called person and why don't I helps to bring some of our, our lenses and our filters that can function as blinders where we can't even look at the stories in scripture of people and recognize, oh, they were called in diverse ways to diverse things. They sensed it in in a multitude of different ways. God worked in a multitude of different ways. Maybe God is still doing that now. Mm. To what extent is is our understanding of biblical calling shaped by our modern individualism? 
I think a lot for those of us who live in, in cultures that where individualism is a key, I think a great deal. So we emphasize, for example, what is my call? We can't even think in communal terms. You know, so, so if we even talk about community, there is some literature, it's good stuff that, that talks about calling in terms of calling for the common good. You know, so we're thinking about our individual call for the sake of the common good, but we're still thinking about an individual call or we're thinking about how does the community play a role in helping me discern my call? We keep using first person singular pronouns because it's about me and my, uh, whereas I, I look at scripture and, and these are not individualistic cultures. You are a person of God because you're part of the community. It's, it's not the community is formed by a bunch of individuals who are following Jesus. You know, it's, it's you, are, you are part of the corporate. And so it's really hard for us to even think about what does it look like collectively? What does it look like for my church to say we are a called community? Not we are a community of called individuals, but we collectively together are called by God to be a community of Jesus followers in this world. That is really hard to even think about our process because we're so formed by individualism. Yeah. Is the idea of calling still, it was when I was at seminary, this idea of calling is still tied up with this idea of you've got one job yeah. or one vocation for life. Are we still yeah. fixated with this idea? It's, it is really in the water. Yeah. You know, so there's this expectation. We, we give it to young people of, you know, you need to know what you want to do, what career, what schooling do you want to do? What career do you want to follow? You need to make a decision in 18. That's going to be the path for the rest of your life, which is we, we know, particularly in quote unquote, Western cultures, more and more people, people don't follow a single career for the entirety of our lives. Some people still do, but it's not the norm. And yet we, we have this expectation about calling especially, especially if it's a calling to be pastor or missionary, right? Then, then you're supposed to be a pastor, hear that calling, become a pastor, pastor for 50 years, be a missionary, go someplace, live there for 40 years. Um, so that is still very, very strong, even while we recognize that that isn't the pattern of all people everywhere, Yes, and so if a pastor only survives five or eight years in the church, mm -hmm. or she, uh, mm -hmm. they feel as though they've failed their calling. Yes, often. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I ha I had a one of my respondents in my research actually set, point to somebody they knew who was a pastor, and after ten years moved to a different role, and said of that person that shows they weren't really called. Mm. Only ten years, quote unquote. Only ten years, right? And you that that says something about our cultural expectations that we're imposing on what God is doing in people's lives. Is it important, because you write about this in the book, and I found it liberating, this idea of reevaluating your call or your process of call midlife. Why is, mm -hmm. that, why is that so important, do you think? Well, certainly developmentally, and in developmental psychology, there's, there's a lot of observation about um, Eric Erickson's idea of generativity and you know, kind of midlife processing, you know, people, people like Richard Rohr and other folks will talk about this, this second half of life kind of processing. There's a number of different, whether it's psychological or it's, it's more theology or ministry sorts of folks note that 
I'd rather not use midlife crisis, but, but there is this sense of there comes a point where our expectations of someday when I grow up, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And then we come to a point of, oh, hang on, this is the life I have. And what do I think about that? Uh, Or people hit transitions, whether they are, they've raised children and now the children are grown or uh, they have suffer a significant loss, uh, their own health, perhaps they're, they lose a career or, or there's a, a marriage breaks up or something happens that precipitates this sort of evaluation. Th- those are kind of more traumatic things. I don't think it has to be trauma, I, but I do think there is an appropriate space of reflection as God is inviting us in the second half of our life or the third, third, some people also talk about third, third, to, to engage in a more authentic way of being that's less focused on production and more focused on being fully ourselves as God's person in the world. I love your, the word convergence, the, the way you mm. write about this, this um, free, free was freeing for me and the way you, you wrote about this. Why is this period as known as convergence so important in our understanding of calling? Well, this is, I, I got the idea of convergence from Bobby Clinton, just to give my receipts of who, who I got what from. And, and I also found that really helpful. On the one hand, I found it discouraging. And this is why, because I originally heard it in my late 20s, that idea in my late 20s. And I was ambitious to have this notion of convergence where uh, all of your gifts and your abilities, your experience, your personality, the needs of the context, the organization, the role, it all sort of converges to have this space of real fruitfulness in in engaging fully as ourselves in what God has called us to. So that's the notion of convergence. I first heard about it from Bobby Clinton um, in my late 20s. And I thought, hang on, I have to wait until my 40s or 50s or 60s to hit. I don't want to wait. I want it now. And so it was kind of a, a frustrating notion at the time, but it was also part of the process of realizing that the testimony of our lives is lifelong, you know, and that we're a little bit too apt to want to arrive, you know, to view calling as when I finally figure it out, I will have arrived in that space and I will be in that fruitful space. And we view it not only in individualistic terms, but also in significantly capitalistic terms. It's about what I produce and what I accomplish, you know, and so one of the things about convergence is that emphasis on our, our authentic selves, you know, bringing the whole of who we are to a place and trusting that, that God has shaped us for a particular role, occupation, engaged point of engagement, but he's also shaped the context that who we are fits, you know, it's both God shaping both to bring them together uh, into this fruitful space. Um, And that's a, That can be so encouraging to think about this is something that God desires for us and is leading us toward. And some of that early faithfulness of persistence and continuing faithfully is leading towards that, that we don't have to hear God's call and poof, we have fruitfulness and productivity and accomplishment that is, that's so shaped by our individualistic and capitalistic cultural context, but instead it's a lifelong process. And that may also include this God bringing these things together in a really fruitful way. 
Yes, I want to come on to talk about the race and gender issues uh, in a moment, but I must ask you, were many of the biblical characters we look at or look to as examples of, of calling, were they actually in this convergence phase when we meet them in the pages of Scripture? I mean, Moses is Asian, mm. wouldn't I say, yeah. when he gets started. Yeah. Well, not gets yeah. started, but is really, really used. Well, I think Moses is a great example of convergence, right? We ignore the first 80 years of his life as if they have nothing to do with God's calling. Right. But but Moses had training in Pharaoh's household. There, I'm sure there's a lot about leadership that he learned. The fact that Moses went out among his people and saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite and killed the Egyptian and thought the Israelites would understand that he was acting to free them. Right. He gives that motivation is is to me this sense of there is something inside Moses that is about what God would call him to do. His timing was awful. His methodology was awful, but there was something in him, right? So there's all these early years of shaping a Pharaoh's household and then 40 years of taking care of sheep around the backside of the desert, which we don't think about as Moses' leader formation, but it was, you know, what better practice for keeping a bunch of Israelites alive in the desert than keeping a bunch of sheep alive, right? You learn how to find water and how do you, how do you manage the desert and, and all of this sort of thing. So, so that when he comes to that moment where he sees the burning bush and he has the specific task that God gave him, all the things that had happened in his life led up to that point. Now, we just, we just tend to ignore those first 80 years as if they're irrelevant instead of recognizing that, no, God was shaping and forming Moses to get to this point where those things converged. His character had been formed. His skills had been formed. He was, he was prepared for the moment that God had, had brought him to, to do something that God wanted to see accomplished. How do race and gender, because you write about this uh, quite a bit in the book, how do race and gender shape our experience of vocational formation? Well, those are among the things that, that are distinctive in each of our experiences. You know, I, I don't experience the world as a man. I, I have male friends. I have a husband. I have a son. You know, I, I observe what the world looks like to them, feels like to them, but I experience the world as a woman. And that's part of God's shaping of me. That's, that's purposeful and distinctive. And I'm going to approach the world in that way. You know, I, I'm white. I'm not uh, Latino. I'm not uh, Asian American. I'm not African American. You know, I, I, I have this experience of living my whole life as a white person. I can listen to somebody else's experience and learn a great deal from their experience, but I have a distinctive experience that God is, has been part of how God has formed me, where God has worked, um, part of how I see the world, part of how I experience the world, part of how the world responds to me. When I walk into a store as a white woman, I'm responded to as a white woman, whether people do so consciously or not. And mostly I think they do so unconsciously. That's how I encounter the world and the world encounters me. And so that if, if I'm going to say God uses everything, God can use everything in our lives. That includes our racial experience and our gendered experience. Why is it important for us to work out our vocation with others in community uh, and with guidance from other people? Well, there's so much that we can see simply by looking out at the world from the inside of ourselves, right, through our eyes. But there's so much that we're not going to see and we're not going to interpret. So some of it is pragmatic in the sense of, I think other people can see our gifts and abilities and our strengths and weaknesses in some ways far more clearly than we can see ourselves. 
So we need to be in community. I think there's also the ongoing formation of our character. And I don't separate vocational formation from spiritual formation. I think the two of them are, are interwoven with one another. In our spiritual formation, we really can't ultimately be formed in isolation. There's, there's plenty of kinds of things that we do in isolation. You know, I, I, will, I will sit and pray on my own. I will read my, script, my Bible on my own. You know, there, there are a number of things, spiritual practices that I will engage in on my own. Nevertheless, I need my community um, to, to be a part of, to walk with me. Um, I, I'm going to... I'm going to see God and experience God from the perspective that I have, and I need my community for a, a broader, broader perspective, a broader experience. I need my community to speak into my blind spots. I need my community to affirm where they see God at work. Um, so there, there's just this, I think ultimately human beings need other human beings to be formed. God made us as relational beings. I, I suspect that's part of being made in the image of God, right? That we're, we're relational beings. And so we need one another as part of that formative process, all the way from the pragmatic to the overarching, just the nature of, of who we are and who God has intended us to be and, and, and how we are to be a part of a, of a body living in this world. Final question. We could talk about this for hours, or at least I could. I find this, I find it fascinating, the whole subject. Someone comes to you, one of your students, or there's someone listening on to this podcast who is pondering their calling. What's your advice to someone considering a calling? And what's your advice to someone who is not certain about how to proceed with exploring a call? Yeah. Well, I often get asked for advice, and what people are asking for is kind of a three-step plan, right? First do this, then do that, then do the other thing <laughs> or read my book. Uh, but, but nevertheless, I, I, I don't think part of the reason it took me as long to write this book as it did is because I don't think we find our calling by reading books, which might be an odd thing for an author to say, but there, but there are some things, some reflective things that I can think can be helpful in books. W when people are asking me, no, I, I think I'm called to this. How do I, how do I really know? Or I don't know what I'm called to. How can I find out? I keep going back to the concept of lifelong development. How has God shaped and formed you up to this point? What do you notice about the regular recurring things? Are there any themes in the kinds of activities you've been involved in or uh, when, when you have a job or when you have a ministry role or when you're engaged in your community, you know, when are you most alive? What do you love? You know, notice, notice the patterns of God's working in your life. How does the community around you speak to you about your calling? You know, communities can get it wrong too. That you can have important people in our lives who have an opinion about what we should do uh, and they can impress their opinion in that Sometimes that can be God and sometimes that can be not God, you know, but, but listening to them, are you listening to your community? How, how about reflecting on call stories in scripture? What about doing a slow reading of some of those call stories and just sit with them rather than examining them or analyzing them, just sit with them. What do you notice? What is, what is God's spirit stirring up in you as you listen to call stories? So, so I, I don't have a three point plan. I have an invitation to recognize God has been shaping and forming you your whole life. 
And God is faithful to continue shaping and forming you. If your heart is turned towards God, if your desire fundamentally is to follow God and to listen and respond with obedience and respond with faithfulness, I don't think it's possible to miss God. I don't think it's possible because God is at work and God will keep being at work and God will keep speaking to you. However you understand speaking and God knows that too. God will continue to communicate with you. Uh, knowing how you hear God. And if your heart is towards God, I don't think it's possible to miss his calling. Mm. Thank you, Susan Maris, uh, whose new book from InterVarsity Press, IVP America, is called Calling in Context, Social Location and Vocational Formation. Susan, thank you so much for your time. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge, who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes. Susan, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.